everyone. And welcome to Worship at Bohelby, and especially welcome if you're a visitor with us today. It's great to have you along. Um, you've landed here on a good Sunday if you are a visitor because uh, we're having a soup lunch today. So if you're able to stay behind and join us for some soup in the hall after the service, you would be very welcome to do so. It would be lovely if you could stay behind for that. Um, just one other announcement, which is to say that um, Crossreach magazines uh, are available just behind me on a chair here. So as you're leaving the church today, if you're interested in the work at Crossreach or want to find out more, it's the kind of, so I always think it's the kind of the social work wing of the Church of Scotland, uh, doing lots of good work throughout the country. If you want to find out more about Crossreach, the magazine is there uh, behind me today. Okay, we're going to begin our worship this morning in the words of hymn number 655, for your generous providing, and we're going to sing this to the tune, Hifridol. Let's take a moment to pray together now. Let's pray. Creator God, you designed the universe and poured out your unconditional love to make it. We reach out to you this morning in thanks and wonder. 
Jesus Christ, you gave yourself freely to the world, taking on human form, offering us love and inviting us to build your kingdom with you. We reach out to you in wonder and in thanks this morning. Loving Spirit, you are within us and around us, bringing guidance, hope and strength in our daily living, steering us toward the good and away from the wrong. We reach out to you this morning in thanks and wonder. Loving God, you know us completely. Every fibre of our being is made by you. And even the hairs in our head are numbered. We are truly in awe of you and what you have done for us. You have freely given us life, love, and a call to love you in return. Please forgive us for the times when we choose to turn away, for the times when the cost seems too great for us to bear and we decide to go our own way in life. Lord, remind us that your love for us is constant, even when we don't return it. And that no matter how often we feel you turn away, you are always there for us, waiting to welcome us home when we come to our senses. Help us realize that you are all we need. And when we turn to you with heart, mind and soul, everything else falls into place. Hear our prayers spoken and unspoken, because we ask them all in Christ's name. And in his name we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Boys and girls, lovely to have you with us in church today. We're going to start asking you a wee question. And it's this Do you know what it means to be inspired? And maybe I need to ask the world this too, but hand your hand. What does it mean to be inspired? Okay, I got about 10% of that, but I think you were in the same kind of idea, it's about ideas and, and, and inspiration, yep, okay. Do you know any other words that have got SPR in it? Or S-P-I-R. Elizabeth, you might know one in your work as a doctor. You put people on a machine. But it's, it's about, a, is it a respirator? Yeah, a respirator. Any other words with sperm in them? Adults, you can maybe help here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, Carl? Spirit, yes, good. Yeah. The word spirit... And anything with SPIR in it is to do with breathing, respiration, we're breathing. So if you're inspired, it's because something is almost, oh, made you go like that, wow, kind of make you take your breath in, you're inspired. What you've seen is something that makes you go, wow, or I would love to see more of that, or I would love to be like that. So people who inspire us, or things that inspire us, are things that take our breath away because they're so amazing. Now, as a guitarist, there's a guy who's a particular inspiration of mine, and we're going to watch a little clip of him now. His name's Tommy Emmanuel. Let's have a wee bit more volume, Ernie. Thank you. Take your 
Now, the hours I spent trying to learn that fast bit, what a waste of time that was. But Tommy's my inspiration as a guitar player. I know I will never be anywhere near as good as Tommy. Never. He's, he's one of the best guitar players in the world. But he makes me want to try and be the best guitar player that I can be. He makes me want to kind of keep practicing and keep learning new things. So he's inspired me to be a better guitarist than I am. Now there's somebody else who inspires me and inspires me to be a better person than I am. And then it's Annie. Answer is Jesus. That's right, Jesus inspires me to try and be a better person than I am. When we think about Jesus, what are some of the words that we might use about Jesus? And who he was as a person. Carl, what would you say? Powerful. Yes, he was powerful. That's right. Yes, Andy. Kind. Yeah. Thoughtful. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Kind. Any other good words about Jesus and Elizabeth? Elizabeth? Loving. Yep, loving as well. All of those things. So I see, when I read the stories about Jesus, and I see who he was, it inspires me to try and be a better person in imitation of him to try and be more like Jesus in my life and there's a word for people who are trying to do that who are trying to be more like Jesus it's a word that we often read in the Bible and it begins with D does anybody know what that word would be Jesus had some friends who followed him around a lot Andy disciples that's right I don't know if you know this but disciples, the disciples weren't just the people who followed Jesus around back in the day, but anybody who's trying to be like Jesus, more like Jesus today, anybody who's inspired by him is a disciple. You're becoming a disciple, which just means a follower and a learner and a friend. So all of us here in church are called to be disciples, to be people who are following and learning from Jesus. Why? Because what we see in him inspires us to be better people. So, later on I'm going to talk to the grown-ups about that. You're going to do your own stuff off in Sunday school. And as you make your way across, we're going to sing a little song just now uh, called Lord of Life, We Come to You. And we'll sing this song through twice. reading this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 14, and reading verses 25 through to 33, and Jeanette Lamb is going to read for us.
cost of discipleship. Now, large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and child, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intend to build a tower that does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, ha, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with 10,000, to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Amen. Thank you, Jeanette. Let's take a moment to pray together now. Lord, we don't sit easily with those words. And yet you said them. So may you help us today through your Holy Spirit to understand what they mean for us to make sense of them, and not merely to understand, but as a consequence of understanding, to act. So we hear our prayers because we ask them in Christ's name. Amen. When you read passages like the one we've just heard, you can understand why Jesus never hired a public relations manager. They wouldn't have lasted a day. Can you imagine it? This is great, Jesus. You're, you're, you're pulling in huge crowds. All the metrics are good. There's a real buzz about the Jesus brand. People like you. So, so I got the guys in marketing to work up a few ideas for this next phase of the campaign. How about come to me and unleash your hidden potential. No? Okay. How about come to me and learn the five ancient secrets of happiness and prosperity? Okay, you don't like that one. Okay, here's a killer. This was Jeff's idea. Sign up for my stress management course and achieve the life you really deserve. Free training manual and spa day if you order before the end of October. No? Oh, oh well, well... Sorry, Lord, but we're kind of out of ideas. What sort of thing did you have in mind? Oh, you, you emailed it through this morning. Okay, well, that's good. Oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. None of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Jesus, I know when I'm getting my leg pulled, right? Who put you up to this? Was that Peter? Was it? Was it Mary in accounts? No, right? You're serious? Yeah, right, you're serious, yeah. Okay, look, I've got to go. I've got a meeting with uh, Pilate at uh, two o'clock. He's having trouble with the Sanhedrin again. Yeah, I'm off to the governor's house, right? But keep those ideas coming, right? Take up your cross. What are you like, Jesus? What are you like? 
not actually a bad question to start with today. What is Jesus like? I think we want to sugarcoat Jesus a lot of the time. We want to focus on the nice encouraging things that he says and put the harder things into soft focus or just ignore them altogether. But any serious attempt to engage with what Jesus says and does won't let you away with that for very long because he keeps dropping these bombshells into his teaching and his conversations with people. Hate your family. Hate your life. Give up your possessions. That's the only way you can be my disciples. Now, it probably goes without saying, but let me say it anyway, that he doesn't mean this literally. If he tells us to love our enemies, he's hardly going to turn around and tell us to hate the people that we're closest to. He's using Jewish hyperbole here, rabbinic hyperbole, deliberately overstating things to make a point. He's not saying actually hate your family or your life or your possessions. What he is saying is that our love for God should be the central and defining love above all others that orders our relationships with those things. It's as we love God that we really learn to love our family, not just when things are going well, but when they're really hard. It's as we love God that we begin to learn what it means to live a life that has depth and not just surface. It's as we love God that possessions stop possessing us and can become things with which we can bless others. So in a world that conspires to keep our focus on ourselves, on the handful of people that we're close to, and on the stuff that we want to accumulate, all of this teaching is profoundly countercultural. And that means that the journey of faith, if we're going to walk this way, is going to be one of lifelong learning and indeed unlearning. And these hard words that Jesus brings to the crowds who were following him were intended to make them see just that. Are you going to be learners, disciples, or are you just going to be hangers-on, watching the action, but never really committing to it? Many years ago, and I've told you this story before, but many years ago when I was doing my divinity at Glasgow, uh, I lived close enough to cycle into the faculty and most mornings I would encounter a classmate uh, called Robert, who was in his 60s and would cycle across from the south side of Glasgow every day. He was pencil thin, he had all the gear, he had a top-notch bike, and you knew just by looking at him that he was the kind of guy who lived in the saddle. And he used to wind me up now and again by saying, Paul, when are you going to start being a cyclist and stop being just a guy in a bike? And that's kind of what Jesus is saying to the crowds. When are you going to stop following me around and actually commit to the way, the costly way of discipleship? Large crowds weren't what Jesus was looking for. He came to make disciples, not to gather a fan base. And that's why he spent a sizable amount of his time with the people who seemed most ready to learn. For three years, he spent more or less all of his time with 12 men, involving them in his work and teaching them through the things that they experienced together. It took a huge investment of time and conversation and prayer from both sides. But through those men and a goodly number of similarly devoted women, God was able to change the world. It's not about the numbers game, and it never has been. It's about discipleship. But we'll get to that in a moment or two. But first of all, here is a picture of a church. Now, it doesn't look like any church you've ever seen, but this is lifted from the work of a pastor called Rick Warren in America. And it doesn't look like a church, but I would guess that this is pretty typical of what most churches look like if you 
analyse them. You could think of it as a series of concentric rings. So on the outside, we have the community, or we would call it the parish, with folk who are unchurched. They maybe have a vague awareness of the building and what goes on within it, but they're not involved in any way. The next circle in would be what Warren calls the crowd, the regular attenders. We need to take a wee bit of care with this one because you'll know the old story about the man who claimed he was a regular attender and then when he was pushed for more information, it turned out that his idea of regular was Christmas and Easter, twice a year. Regular in this analysis means that you're there reasonably often. The next circle in is the congregation, the members. For me, this is where the model doesn't quite work and maybe shows its American roots. Warren assumes that church members will be in church most weeks, and although you may assume that in the States, we can't assume that here. 300 in the roll, attendance today, 40 or 50 if we're lucky. Although I know that a good number of folk can't make it because of age or ill health. But I have to say in practice, although I have a responsibility to all our members and to the wider parish. I do tend to think of my congregation as the folk who are engaging with what we're doing, whether they are formally members or not. The next circle in is the committed, maturing members. Who are these folk? Well, they're the people who are working at the disciplines of their faith, spiritual reading, prayer, fellowship, service. Folk who are making a conscious effort to learn and to live out their faith beyond a Sunday morning. And in the centre, we have those core folk who are at a place in their faith where they're able and indeed willing to exercise some kind of a ministry within the life of the church. They found their place in the body of Christ. They're comfortable there, and they're making a valuable contribution to the church's life. Straight away, with that model, a couple of questions present themselves. Firstly, where are you? Which of these concentric circles best represents where you are in terms of your involvement with your local church? Are you a member of the community who's just looking for now? Are you part of the crowd that pitches up for worship now and again? Are your ties to Bolhelvi strong enough to consider yourself part of the congregation here, whether you happen to be a member or not? Are you committed enough to be pursuing spiritual growth outside of Sundays? Are you one of those core people who found a role within the body of the church and are giving to the life of the church as well as receiving from it? Now, I know that age and ill health and other commitments can be mitigating factors, but broadly speaking, where are you on the map? That's the first question. And the second is like it, but it's a wee bit more rhetorical. Where do you think we would find disciples on this map? I thought I knew the answer to that one. And then I had a rare moment of clarity in which I realized I was wrong. I will say that again for the sake of my family. Yes, I was wrong. I was going to suggest that we find disciples in the circles marked committed and core. But then I realized it's not as simple as that because discipleship is a process rather than a destination. Where do we find people becoming disciples? Anywhere we find people moving towards the center. There's another graphic, there we go. Anywhere we find people moving towards the center, discipleship is happening. If you're out in the community and you start to come about the church on a more regular basis, you're taking your first steps on the road of discipleship. If you come now and again and you feel God's asking you to be more committed in your attendance, you're on the road. If you're a regular here and you feel that like God's calling you to be more intentional in growing your faith, especially outside of Sundays, you're on the road. If you're growing to the point where you're prepared to exercise some kind of ministry to help the church grow and to serve the community in Christ's name, then you're on the road. And if you find yourself drifting 
in the opposite direction, moving away from the center, then please take heed to what Jesus is saying this morning. There is no discipleship without commitment, intention, and a measure of self-sacrifice. If those things aren't there in the way you practice your faith, you may be kidding yourself, you may even be kidding others, but you're not kidding God. It breaks my heart that most of the people who've left our church over the time I've been here haven't stormed off in high dudgeon over something. They've just slowly allowed themselves to drift off the map, not to other churches by and large, but to no church community at all. And the thing is, if you won't let the church disciple you, the world is more than happy to step in and do the job for you. Discipleship is about our direction of travel. It's the way that you choose to walk because you've come to believe that the meaning of your life and of life itself is bound up in the story and in the company of the man, Jesus Christ. In other words, he is inspiring you. So wherever you are on the map, the question that follows is what is the next step for you? Is it committing to come to church more regularly? Is it thinking about becoming a member and exploring that? Is it beginning to intentionally build prayer and spiritual reading and service into your daily life? Is it offering yourself for leadership responsibility within the church and sharing the burden of leadership a little more widely? What might your next step be? Coming to the prayer meeting. Joining a discussion group, helping out on a rota, not running away from me if I invite you to take on a leadership role within the church. I want you to think about that. Those of you gathered here and those watching in the video this morning, I want you to think about that really hard. Not least because there has been a lot of slippage in this post-COVID world and the church has not been exempt from it. It's time that we were taking definite steps to reclaim some of the ground that we have lost during the pandemic. But that call, that responsibility lies with each and every one of us. When people ask me how big my congregation is, there are all kinds of things I could say. I could say there are about 300 in the roll. That doesn't sound too bad. I could be a wee bit more honest and say that there are 300 in the roll, but we rarely see 200 of them. I could be still more honest and say that there are 300 in the roll, but it's about 10% of them who are doing most of the work of keeping this church going. But what if I chose not to play the numbers game at all and instead turned the tables on the person asking the question? What if I said the key question isn't how big is your church? How deep is your church? How many of the people who come about the place are choosing the path of discipleship? Comfortable enough to know that they are loved and that they belong, but challenged enough to want to find out more and take the next step for them on their own journey of faith. If that's a journey that we can make together, we may not end up as a bigger congregation, but God willing, we will certainly be a deeper one. And that, at least according to what Jesus has to say today, seems to be what really counts. Amen. Thanks be to God for both the promise and the challenge of his word. We're going to celebrate communion 
shortly now, and in preparation for that, we're going to sing hymn number 401, Tree of Life and Awesome Mystery. Before we uh, begin communion, just to say if you have particular dietary needs, if you need uh, gluten-free bread, please just indicate that when you come up to the front and I'll serve you. Uh, and also to say if you're infirm and you struggle with movement, and please do take care stepping up onto the, uh, the raised area here. I can serve you in your seat if needs be. So please just, once everyone else has come up, just indicate that by raising your hand and I'll come and serve you. Are you hearing me okay? Is the microphone on? You're hearing, thank you. In a quiet place away from the crowds, Jesus ate with those who had journeyed with him, those he called his disciples. Gathered around that table, there were no saints, none who followed flawlessly. Instead, he ate and drank and talked with people like us. The impetuous, the good-hearted, the doubting but still believing, the flawed, his people, his chosen ones, each with such a long way to go, but having this in common, they were getting involved. They weren't standing by or keeping their distance. As we gather around this table, we come not because we deserve to be here, but because God in his grace invites us to come. 
We're not here to assume our virtue, but to acknowledge the ways in which we fall short and to ask for God's forgiveness. This table speaks not about what we are doing, but about what Christ has done. Not about our love for him, but his love for us. And here, through the miracle of grace, sorrow turns to joy, despair to hope, defeat to victory, and death to life. This is the Lord's Supper. So come to him just as you are, and let him summon out more of what you shall be. What we do now, we do in memory of the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night of his betrayal. So let's hear again the story of how the sacrament began. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So following Jesus' example and command, we take this bread and this wine, the ordinary things of the world which Christ will make special. And just as he said a prayer before sharing, let us do so too. Let us pray. Mighty God, our discipleship isn't perfect. Far from it. We have as many questions as answers and as much doubt as faith. For there's so much we don't understand and that leaves us troubled and confused at times. But we're reminded at this table that Jesus died for those whose discipleship was flawed, whose faith was imperfect, and whose understanding was partial. For giving us so much Though we offer so little in return, Lord, we thank you. Gracious God, our love isn't perfect, anything but. We serve self rather than others, putting our own interests before yours. For there's much about loving that frightens us and is too challenging at times to contemplate. We are reminded at this table that Jesus died for those whose love is limited, whose devotion is poor, and whose worship is weak. For giving us so much that we offer so little in return, Lord, we thank you. Merciful God, our lives are not perfect, nowhere near it. We're easily led astray, often disobedient. So much within us resists your way and is in disharmony with your will. We are reminded at this table that Jesus died for those whose lives are blemished, whose service is faltering, and whose commitment is lacking. Forgiving us so much, though we offer so little in return, Lord, we thank you. So, all merciful God, have mercy upon us and all who call to you this day in sincerity for help and for healing, for the faith and the forgiveness that we often lack. We ask all these things in the name of your dear Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Among friends and gathered around a table, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, after supper, 
He took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Drink from it, all of you, to remember me. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who place their trust in him. Peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Let us pray. We walk this road in the companionship of Jesus Christ. Christ beside us. Christ around us. Christ within us. And just as he has given us of his life, so we return the gift offering all that we are into his service and asking for the faith to take the next step of discipleship on our life's journey, whatever that may be. Amen. We close our worship now in the words of a hymn that's not in CH4. But it's one I heard at a conference the other week and really liked. You will know the tune, and it's called O God Beyond All Praising. And just before we start singing, an announcement I missed is to remind you that Coffee Haven is on on Tuesday, 10 to 12. You're all very welcome to come and bring someone if you're coming. But we're going to close with O God Beyond All Praising.
now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.